A number of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to travel to Toronto. My wife's a, a pediatrician, and she was doing a, a month-long rotation at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. And while we were there, we had a day off to hang out together, and we decided to go to Canada's Wonderland, which is an amusement park outside of the city centre. Have any of you ever been to Canada's Wonderland before? Okay, a few of you. Obviously, you weren't very excited because your hand's pretty low, but... <laughs> Canada's Wonderland is known among many things to have great roller coasters. And Sabine and I really like doing roller coasters together, so that was one of the things we went there to do. And one of the roller coasters at Canada's Wonderland is called the Leviathan. It goes 306 feet in the air, travels 148 kilometers an hour, and does multiple full 360 loops. And if you're standing on the ground looking up, it looks amazing. We were so excited to do it. And because we did it later in the day, I actually had an opportunity to watch a number of people doing it, you know, with the, you know, the, the playful scream as they're doing it throughout. But eventually, Sabin and I got in line and we got up there and they strap you in with these rubber harnesses, right? Which basically just means once the ride starts, whether you like it or not, you're finishing. And so we're strapped in and it started like most roller coaster rides. There's a, a slow build as you go up and up and up until it levels off and then eventually it drops off. And because it goes so high, Sabin and I, on our way up, were, I was particularly really enjoying it. I was holding on to the, to, the, to the rubber harness and leaning over the edge, just taking in the beautiful view of the greater Toronto area. And then about three quarters of the way up, my internal dialogue changed and my heart picked up. And I went, oh, this is really high. <laughs> and my heart kept racing a little bit faster and faster until I got to the top. And I thought, what am I doing here? This is crazy. But again, I'm harnessed in, so whether I like it or not, I'm going down. And Sabit and I, we had the, the joy of being right at the front cart, right in the edge. That's right, thumbs up, right? And so all the weight was behind us. And uh, the Leviathan has this cool feature in that when you're up at the top, so 306 feet the air, your first descent down is at an 80 degree angle. So you're almost descending straight down. So I'm holding onto my harness and everybody else is behind us. And so Saban and I go over the edge and our cart leans forward and almost straight down. Yeah, uh-oh. And in my mind I go, this was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm gonna die on a roller coaster in Toronto. <laughs> this is not what I imagined for my life. <laughs> I didn't have any flashbacks, but I definitely was filled with fear and with panic. Now, one of the benefits of experiencing fear in a roller coaster is that once it's over, which is usually pretty short, you know, a minute or two, you walk away. You know, you can walk away from that roller coaster and you never have to do it again. And in fact, if you're at the bottom and you think those people are crazy, you never have to do it to begin with. But unfortunately, there's places in our lives where we can't walk away from fear so easily, aren't there? Maybe in a relationship or an important decision at work or at home or maybe with our spouse or with our children. I joked a little bit earlier that um, I think it's a fear for some parents maybe that their kids will be 35 years old living in their basement playing video games in their underwear. Wherever your places of fear are, at home 
or at work, sometimes they're not as easy to walk away from, are they? We're a sermon series here at 10th called Frail Faith. If you've ever felt like your faith is weak and you want it to be strong, but you're just not there, then this sermon series is for you. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at places in our lives where we may feel, because of them, our faith is weak. Last week, we looked at doubt and faith, and today we're going to look at fear and faith. And we'll find that fear isn't an antithesis to faith, but in fact, it's in our fear where God invites us to take his hand and to move forward with him in faith. That faith isn't an antithesis to fear, but faith is actually recognizing our fear and going forward with God. Our passage today is from Numbers 13, and before I read the passage, let me just set up the context for us. Israel had been in slavery for over 400 years. God had provided them freedom from slavery and from Egypt, and that they would go into a new land, a promised land that he would provide for them. And one of the high points of this movement is a miraculous delivery as God splits the Red Sea, and Israel literally walks through the sea with the Egyptian captors racing behind them. And when they get to the other side and are through the water, God closes the Red Sea and washes away the Egyptian army. And then on the other side, so it's a pretty miraculous recovery out of slavery. On the other side, the Israelites are standing on the outside of this promised land that God had offered to them. And they send 12 spies or 12 scouts into the promised land to check things out. And when they return, this is what we're told from Numbers 13, starting in verse 26. They, namely the scouts, came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh and the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. In fact, here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And then a little bit later in chapter 14, verse three, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Do not fear is one of the most repeated commands in all of scripture. So with that in mind, and with this passage, we may be tempted simply to think that we should discard our fear. That faith actually looks like putting our fear aside, not experiencing it all, and just moving forward without that fear. We should simply just ignore it and isolate it. But as we'll find, faith isn't an antithesis to fear but faith actually helps us, or fear actually can help us to rely on God. It can grow our faith. Now we know from research and from personal experience 
that fear can actually help us in life. And in fact, our ancestors honed in using danger, uh, using fear to hone in on danger. That it was actually a survival tool. Let me give you an example. If you were a caveman and you walked out of your, or a cavewoman, and you walked out of your cave in the morning, and you look to one side and you see a, a rainbow, maybe let's uh, build it up a better, a double rainbow on the one side, and on the other side, a saber-toothed tiger, and you came out and you took a minute to take in the glorious double rainbow, you very well may end up being breakfast for the saber-toothed tiger. That our ancestors used fear as a way of honing in on danger and of responding quickly to the immediate need. And if you want to stay alive physically, then, danger, or then fear can be a helpful tool. And if you want to stay alive spiritually, then fear can actually be a helpful tool as well. That fear, we are invited to recognize our fear and not put it aside. And it's not so much that we experience fear, but how we respond in the presence of fear that matters. That fear can, in fact, as we'll find here, distort our perceptions of reality. But if we respond well in the presence of fear, that it can actually help to grow our faith. And so today, we're going to look at two ways that we can respond in the presence of fear. Namely, remembering God's faithfulness and receiving God's resources. So first, remembering God's faithfulness. On the one side, it can look like a kind of cautious wisdom, can't it? That the 12 spies come back from checking out the land, and they report saying, we found all of these people, mighty warriors, armies, fortified fortresses. This is a bad idea. We've just escaped slavery in Egypt, and now we want to go into a land filled with mighty fortresses and armies and people. This is a bad idea. And again, as I mentioned, in the one sense, there could be a kind of cautious wisdom to this. But fear has a tendency, does it, to magnify a problem beyond what it actually is. We learn from archaeologists, if we could put up the map right now, this is the, uh, the route that the spies took from Kadesh up through to Hebron and to Bethel and back. And we learn from archaeologists that even though there were fortresses and people who lived in this area, which is in between uh, the, uh, the river and the sea, that's very likely not as occupied and fortified as these spies made it seem like. And the reason is, if you're going to build a, a mighty fortress or a, a big city, and if you're not a, a major military power yourself, you wouldn't want to build on a military highway. And the area that they traveled in was a military highway. You'd also want to build closer to the water areas. And so even though there were real dangers in going into this area, let's not underestimate that, it was nowhere near the kind of danger that they were perceiving. That Israel actually had just come out of Egypt, one of the major military superpowers of the time. They knew mighty fortresses, they knew big armies. But there's no archaeological data to lead us to believe that in fact it was quite as large as maybe it seems like here. But fear has a way of magnifying our problems, doesn't it? I remember the first time that I asked out a girl in high school. 
Um, it was in grade eight, and I'd planned to ask her out uh, after wrestling practice. I was nervous all day. I was like unnaturally sweaty, even in wrestling practice, which was to say something. And the whole day, I just wanted to teleport myself out of that moment. I just wanted to get it over with, be done, and just move on with my life. But I had decided that after wrestling practice, I was going to ask her out. And in my mind, I blew up this problem so much bigger than it was. And I imagined everything that could possibly go wrong. Have you ever done that? What if I asked her out and she said no? What would that mean for me? What would friends think of me? What would other girls think about me? Does that mean that I'm unlikable or I'm unlovable? Or what if she says yes and it's a disaster and it blows apart and it's a waste of time? Have you ever done that? Blow up a problem so much bigger than it is in reality? But then after wrestling practice, I decided to approach her and about as cool as you can as a grade eighter. Uh, unfortunately, in my wrestling gear, I hadn't thought that through and was still fully... Uh, wrestled up. I approached her and asked her out. And you know what she said? No. <laughs> My worst fears had come true. And you know what happened? Nothing. No one really said anything. In fact, people were pretty encouraging for taking a risk. And a few days later, it didn't even matter to me. But it was something that I had so blown up in my mind that fear has a tendency for us to magnify the problem. The American writer Mark Twain said this, I am an old man and have known many troubles, and most of them have never happened. <laughs> so true. That we can magnify the problem beyond what it is in reality. And it's amazing to me that these 12 scouts come back and they've actually magnified the problem because of the place they've actually traveled through. One of the things that I love about the Bible is it's so rich in detail, which we may miss on first reading, but each of these details helps to color the passage. And we're told in the passage that the 12 spies go through Kadesh and stop at Hebron. Let's throw that map back up again if you're able to, Wes, thanks. They go through Kadesh and they stop at Hebron. Now, if you are an ancient Israelite or even maybe a, a modern Israelite, you would know that Abraham in Genesis 12, after being promised a land, a promised land, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the grains of sand, that he traveled through Kadesh. And that Abraham and Sarah and many other people in Israelites' history were buried in Hebron. And so these Israelite spies, these scouts, weren't just on a reconnaissance mission, they were literally walking down memory lane of God's faithfulness. And if they'd stopped to take in the roses or at least the, the major sites along the way, they would remember this was the place where God was faithful to Abraham. Or this is the place where Abraham and Sarah and others were buried. That it was literally memory lane of God's faithfulness through their stories. But instead of coming back with their, their minds and their memories and their hearts full of God's faithfulness in the past, they've magnified the problem. And one of the things that we're invited to do in the midst of our own fear to respond faithfully is to remember God's faithfulness. Uh, Brittany and Jordan are uh, good friends of Sabine and mine. We've been in a life group. We had been in a life group with them for a number of years. 
And early on in their marriage, they shared with us that they were starting a new practice of writing down their prayers in a journal and keeping track of these prayers over time and the ways that God was responding to them and to their prayers. And so I reached out to Brittany a, a few weeks ago to ask if they're still engaged in this practice. And she said, 10 years later, they're still doing it. Even with two kids, even they're not doing it as, as much as they'd like to do, they're still doing it. And they were initially inspired by Psalms, such as Psalm 71. Psalm 71, which says, Since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And they were inspired by the Psalms and other places in the scriptures where Israel was keeping a memory of God's faithfulness from the past in order to pass that on to the next generation. And they wanted to keep a journal of their own prayers and their own memories of God's faithfulness in their story that then they could pass on to their children. And Brittany shared that every now and again, they have an opportunity to read through these journals as they're now multiple journals and to remember over 10 years ago, the prayers that they had for their marriage and for their kids and for their friends and for their church and ways that God was faithful in the past. One of the ways that we can respond faithfully in the midst of fear is to remember God's faithfulness. For me too, I've been in the practice of journaling. You know, different ideas that come to my mind, but also prayers and movements of God's spirit in my life. And for me, when I'm in times of decision and fear, it does help to think back in my memory. What are some of those times of God's faithfulness in my past as a reminder that God was faithful and he will continue to be faithful? And if you're looking for one of those ways to engage in your prayers and to remember God's faithfulness, let me commend the practice of journaling to you. One of the other practices for me was baptism. Uh, every year on September 3rd, I get a reminder on my phone and on my computer that pops up and says, Craig's spiritual birthday. And it's a reminder for me that on September 3rd, I was baptized. And that it was a marking of God's faithfulness in my life. That prior to that, I had been through a season of immense challenge and difficulty. I certainly didn't believe in God. I was hostile towards the church. I was going through a really hard time. And over that summer, I joined this beautiful church community and came to know God, and he showed himself to be so faithful and generous in that season. And baptism was a marking of God's faithfulness in that season for me, and a declaration that I wanted to, to move on from this old way of life and into this new way with him. And so remembering that September 3rd was my spiritual birthday. Each year is a way for me to even briefly remember God's faithfulness in the past and that God will continue to be faithful. If you um, are a follower of Jesus, even if you've become one today or if you've been following him your whole life, if you have not been baptized, we aren't just invited into baptism, but we are commanded into baptism. Paul in Acts 22 says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. If you want to be baptized, we would love to baptize you this summer or fall. I know there's a few of you here who are going through our baptism class right now. 
Baptism is a way of marking God's faithfulness in our story. It's actually a kind of beginning. It marks the beginning of our story and that God wants to continue to do something special in our lives. So one of the ways that we can respond to fear is to remember God's faithfulness. The second thing we can do is to receive God's resources. When the uh, spies go into the promised land, they come back with uh, bunches of fruit, which is symbolic that this, in fact, is the place that God had promised, a place that he said would be a place filled with, uh, with milk and honey. And this is symbolic that this is, in fact, the place of abundance that God promised. It's also symbolic of God's faithfulness and the next step of the story, that just as God had been faithful to miraculously deliver them out of Egypt and had been faithful to provide this fruit in the new land, he too would provide for them in this next season. But the Israelites had not only magnified the problem, but they've minimized the resources. And we see this especially in the Israelites' perception of of listening to God. They were told in the passage or in the story that only four people of thousands stopped to listen for God's voice and his guidance. That everyone else was so overwhelmed with the problem that they focused on what they didn't have rather than what they did have. And one of the great things that they did have was God's presence and his guidance. That God had promised and he had been with them all the way through the story so far. And if Israel was faithful and listened to him in this time of fear and direction, then God would take them to places that they could not go on their own. When I was in Toronto, I had the opportunity to visit with a friend who works in the Toronto area. And we spent the whole morning together catching up and he had been through a really difficult season, time of fear and challenge and difficulty. And so as I was meeting with him, I said, how has this season, how have your fears, how have those changed, if at all, your perception of God and your relationship with him and your prayer life? And here's what he shared with me. When our head hits our hands, in desperation or fear, God speaks. If we don't take time to stop and listen, then we will miss something, something that God is telling us. We will miss a special way that he's present to us. This season has forced me into prayers. I really have no idea what to do next. And so I'm forced to listen for his voice and how to take that next step. If we listen, then God will take us somewhere and we will become something where we may never have gone before. My friend was saying that fear is actually an opportunity for us in the life of faith. Not to ignore and put aside our fear, but in our places of fear can actually be special times of God's guidance and direction. And if we listen to him in the places of fear, that God may actually lead us to places where we never have gone on our own as we're forced not only to listen, but to trust and allow him to guide us. A number of years ago, our staff team uh, went on a a retreat into the valley and we spent one of our days swimming in Cultus Lake. And uh, so I was out in the lake with a number of other colleagues and we were swimming around. And uh, Pastor Ken came swimming out 
and he said, hey, who wants to swim with me across the lake? And those of you who know me well know that I am an intensely competitive person. And uh, if you tell me I can't do something, I'll probably do it anyways. And so Pastor Ken inviting me to swim across the lake, I thought, I can do this. And maybe I'll outswim Ken. And Ken, as some of you know, has a regular practice of swimming. So he's in great swim shape. And when I was in university, I also had a regular practice of swimming laps at the university pool and was in pretty good swim shape. But that was then, and this was now. <laughs> but in my mind, I was still in good swim shape. And so I started swimming with Pastor Ken just behind him. And about a quarter of the way through, realized that I was tiring a lot quicker than I thought. And for a second, thought, maybe I'll go back. But said, no, I can do this. And so I kept going. And about halfway across the lake, I realized that I was in real trouble. I looked back and realized that I was actually too far out to call for help. And I was already too far out really for it to make any difference to go back. I knew that if I were to make it out of the lake, I had to keep going. I was struggling to catch my breath and my muscles, my arms and my legs burned. And for a moment, I remember thinking, I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it out of the lake. And panic and fear hit me like a wall of bricks. And my mind started racing and my heart started racing as fear and desperation hit me. And in that moment, something happened. I said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That I believe in the Holy Spirit had been a phrase that a mentor of mine had been encouraging me to pray in times of fear, in times of difficulty, in times of desperation as a way of saying, God, I really do believe that you are at work. And if we call on you, then especially in times of fear, you will lead us through them. And so in my mind and my heart, I said again and again, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, something amazing happened and beautiful happened. God took my focus off of the destination. And instead, he took my attention just simply on the moment in front of me. He said, Craig, you're not in control of the destination. Instead, I had to pray for my next breath, for my next stroke of my arms, the next kick of my legs. That when we pray, we aren't invited to pray for the destination, that God is the one who ultimately controls our destinations. But if he is the one to guide us, that we say, Lord, guide me to my next breath. Guide me to my next step. For me in the middle of the lake, guide me to the next stroke of my arms. We're invited not to control our destination, but in the places of our fear and sheer desperation to listen and to cling to God's voice and his guidance. Now I can say that there have only been a few times in my life where I have tangibly, vocally, audibly heard God's voice and he's given me you know, a specific word. But I can say in times of fear, in times of decision, that God has guided me, either through scripture or through the wisdom of trusted friends. And at John 16, Jesus gets in front of his disciples and he said, it's actually better for them that he leaves because if he does, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, in all the truth. 
Whether you're in a hard and desperate situation in your life like my friend was, or you're stuck in the middle of the lake, desperately clinging for your next breath, for your next move, the promise is that in sending the Holy Spirit, that God will guide us in all situations and in all truth. And our invitation is to trust God not with the destination, but with the next movement of our lives. We are invited in our fear to remember God's faithfulness and to receive his resources, especially the the great gift of his Holy Spirit, which guides us forward. Where are the places of your fear? Where are the places in your life where when you think of them, your heart begins to race? Or your heart cries out? Where are the places maybe in a relationship, a friendship with your spouse, with your kids, maybe with your business, maybe with something that you hope no one finds out about you and you're afraid that they will? Where are your places of fear? A few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to, uh, to watch the Worship Central Conference. And some of you perhaps know Brooke Ligertwood. I had an opportunity to watch her in a conversation with Daryl Johnson, who's a, a pastor and preacher in our, our city. And during their conversation, Brooke shared that a few years ago that she had traveled to Ethiopia with a number of other ministry leaders, and they had been invited on a day off to go for a hike in the Ethiopia countryside. And she thought initially that it would be a casual, you know, walk hike, you know, pretty easy. But when they got there, she realized that rather than being a hike or, you know, a leisurely walk, it would actually be more like a free climb. And she was desperately underprepared. But she went anyways, and she said that at one point in the hike, she was hundreds of feet in the air, clinging to the rock face. And she looked down, and seeing how high up that she was, she became paralyzed by fear. She clung to the rock side and leaned in, and actually didn't know how to move forward. And in that moment, their Ethiopian guide named Sahila Selesi came alongside her. And he said to her, you are very strong. You are very brave. Take my hand. And she said in that moment, she knew she had two options. She could try and do it by her own strength and try to take that next step, but very likely she would risk her own life. Or in faith, she could take Sahila Selassie's hand and move forward with him. That by offering his hand to Brooke, Sahila was offering her a a way to respond in the very presence of her fear, a way to respond in faith. And so too, in a moment, I'm going to offer us a way that we can respond in faith too, in the very presence of our fear. Fear isn't the antithesis of faith. We are invited to recognize the real places of fear and danger in our lives. And rather than to put them aside, to take God's hand and allow him to guide us in and through them. Faith 
is not the antithesis to fear, but we are invited to trust Jesus, to take his hand and to move forward with him in those places of fear. That as we trust him in those places of sheer desperation, we see him showing up and leading us in places where we may never have been able to go on our own. Where are your places of fear? If you feel comfortable now, I invite you to close your eyes and just to look down. And if you're at home, to do the same. Just to close your eyes and to look down. And in a word, in your mind, where is your place of fear? Where is that rocky nook where maybe you're unsure of how to move forward? Or you're paralyzed in fear or you really wish that you didn't have to make this decision? And maybe you're not sure even how to go forward. Hold that in your mind. And in that place, hear Jesus come alongside you and say to you, you are very strong and you are very brave. Now take my hand. And if you're here today, and that's your story, you're in a place of fear or the unknown where you're just not sure what your next step will look like or you're afraid to take that next step, or you're afraid of losing something important to you, I invite you to extend your hands in front of you or above you as a way of saying, God, I want to take your hand right now. I have my hand raised too. that there are these real places of fear in our lives. And we are invited by faith not to discard our fear, but to acknowledge them before God. Say, God, I want to take your hand. And imagine him now taking your hand and closing his hand around yours. And he says to you, On the cross and in my resurrection, I have shown that I am victorious over death, over sin, and over shame. There is nowhere too dangerous, no place too dark, no fear too great where I would not guide you. You can take my hand and trust me because I'm already victorious. And you can walk with me in that. Even if the next step is hard, even if it's difficult, even if there's more fear, I will lead you faithfully through it. You can trust me. You are strong and brave. Come with me. In a moment, our worship band is gonna lead us in another song. This is another way that we can respond to God in our places of fear, of offering our voices to him, crying out, God, take me to your presence. God, take me to your altar. I long to follow you. So God, lead us. We can trust you.
even in the great places of our fear. Amen.